Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, March 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. EY's plans to split are on hold. China's president plans to boost the country's tech sector in order to compete with the U.S. And the FT's Chris Giles briefs us on Britain's low-growth economy. The economy in the U.K. will be alone in not growing at all. Not a, not a jot between 2019 and 2025. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Global accounting giant EY kept delaying plans to split its auditing and consulting businesses. Now, that plan is on pause. Sources told the FT there's been fierce fighting over how much of EY's tax business should stay with the audit side after the split. EY had planned to shift most of its tax practice to the consulting and advisory business, but EY's American auditors campaigned for more of the tax practice to stay on the audit side. That's partly because of U.S. regulations. Yesterday, the head of EY's U.S. business told partners that the deal needs to be reworked. Chinese President Xi Jinping is preparing to shore up financial stability and boost his country's tech capabilities. Big changes to financial and tech regulation were revealed this week at the annual gathering of China's rubber stamp parliament. Here's the FT's Zhou Lehi in Beijing. So on the technology sector, the government is reinforcing its Ministry of Science and Technology. And the idea of that is to try to get it to become more innovative and to concentrate on achieving scientific breakthroughs. This is things like building national labs, facilitating technology transfer, looking after tech workers. So the idea is to compete more closely with the US. And she's deeply aware that he needs to build greater industrial capabilities, particularly in this area. And the other aspect of this is that China's going to create what it's calling a national data administration. This is more of a strategic body that's going to craft a national big data plan and try to come up with a strategy for the digitalization of China's economy and of its state. Joe, there are also big changes to financial regulation. How important are these? The most significant reforms seem to be to the financial sector. Uh, China's replacing its existing um, banking regulator with a new agency that's going to oversee the entire financial sector, except for markets. The idea is that too many things seem to have been falling between the cracks before. Fintech companies like Alibaba, state-owned conglomerates that had financial arms, these things were not being as well regulated as the party would like to see. Also, at the local level, there are a lot of financial institutions were having bad loans or were suffering from bank runs. So I think the party is trying to concentrate financial regulation in the hands of not a super regulator because it doesn't control markets, but a much more powerful entity that the party can control more closely. This is all part of Xi Jinping exerting a tighter grip, if you like, on policy in the Chinese economy. And I think this is something that we're going to see advancing as he starts on his third five-year term. So the National People's Congress wraps up on Monday. Uh, What else is in store? We're going to see some formalities. So Xi Jinping will be elected president of China for his third term. And we'll also see on Sunday a swathe of big appointments, new head of the, the central bank. We'll see the new ministers appointed. 
even the Premier, she's number two, he'll be appointed on Saturday. So there's still a lot of big appointments coming. And this is really a very big moment in terms of setting a new agenda for the country. And of course, the central theme is, is she centralizing too much? Is he choking off the market? Or will this new team, which will have his confidence, will they be able to forge ahead and reopen China for business? That's the FT's Jolie in Beijing. Britain has a big problem with its economy. Its growth has lagged behind other developed countries since the pandemic. And unlike other big economies, UK growth hasn't recovered from pre-COVID levels. The FT's economics editor, Chris Giles, says the problems actually started much earlier. He joins me now. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Mark. So, Chris, when exactly did the UK's engines of growth begin to stall? Well... You can really pinpoint it to the global financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. So the period from after the financial crisis to 2016, the UK's growth rate of gross domestic products, that declined from being really the the fastest in the G7 to still near the top of the G7 because remember, Eurozone was having a horrible time and the US wasn't having a great time in that period either. And then... After 2016, uh, the UK continued to decline when other countries essentially accelerated and got over the growth shock. So we had two two shocks, one a global shock uh, and then one a UK-specific one after 2016. And, you know, in some ways you can guess what happened in 2016 while it was the Brexit referendum. So Brexit is one of the factors here. What are some of the other factors dragging down the economy? So the UK's best sectors, including finance, And its best regions, including particularly London, they have not declined, but their productivity growth rate has fallen very sharply. Part of that is the response to the financial crisis itself, but it's a wider thing that we haven't found new growth engines to replace the ones that we had before 2007. And we're sort of slightly unique in that. We had a really big surge in the numbers of people working. And now that has uh, unfortunately gone into reverse since the pandemic. So we have the really nasty combination of both a long-standing productivity shock and then a new uh, employment decline, which we've had over the past three or four years. So Chris, is there a solution that the UK can put in place to, to fix all this? I think the solutions are, again, because these are long-term problems, they're going to be long term. So you have to think hard about your relationships with other countries. And this obviously will go slightly back to the Brexit conversation, but also about what are you doing about things like your property market. We have a real problem with permissions to build uh, and things get done very slowly in this country. So I think that is one of the areas. And um, clearly, we need to get business investment going again. But we've had a lot of policy flip-flopping by government. So whatever you think about Brexit, you don't know as a company what the government is going to do and what the business environment is going to be like in six months' time. And in those circumstances, it's pretty hard to invest. What does this all mean for the average person living in the UK? Well, if we don't get growth back, and that that is the central forecast of the Bank of England, that we're, we're, the economy in the UK will be alone in not growing at all 
not a not a jot between 2019 and 2025 when eurozone is expected to grow by about 7% over that period and the US by about 10%. So not huge growth rates elsewhere, but much better than the UK. If that happens, then not only are living standards not rising, but also with an aging population, it makes the public finances and financing our health service, our education service, makes that very, very difficult indeed. This all sounds kind of grim, Chris. Any good news on the horizon? The big picture mark is pretty grim, but I I think it's not so awful. Forecasts are often wrong. There is, I think, a lot more stability in our political sphere just since the autumn. I think the UK, if it can show it's a stable, grown-up country again, will find that businesses want to invest there. And I think if you can get a little bit of a virtuous circle going rather than the vicious circle I've just been talking about, then things would look less bleak than uh, I've maybe painted it. Chris Giles is the FT's economics editor. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark. Before we go, a reminder of the benefits of being a fund manager. Kathy Wood runs ARK Investment Management. She's known for her flagship fund called ARK Disruptive Innovation. She made a name for herself by embracing high-flying, often speculative tech stocks. And for a while, that was going great. Then it wasn't. The FT has calculated that investors have lost a collective $10 billion in cash in the nine years since the fund was founded. Kathy Wood, over the same period, made more than $300 million in fees from that fund alone. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.